night. Amen. All right, look at Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6. And I want to say, if you're visiting with us tonight, we are sure glad that you are here with us tonight and appreciate you coming our way. Uh, What we've been studying, and and if you have not been here for the whole series, it's going to be kind of hard to to jump in here and get the entire idea. Uh, But here's the idea in a nutshell. Uh, God, yes, that'd be a real blessing. Thank you so much, Miss Lenny. Uh, The God of the universe, the creator of the universe, thank you, sister, really appreciate that. I'll take two, yes, ma'am. He loved you enough not only to to come and become a, a man and live a sinless life and die in your place on the cross and take your sins on his body and offer you his righteousness in exchange for your sins. Thank God for that. That is awesome by itself. But furthermore, he, he decided, he chose of his own free and perfect will, God chose to reveal himself to us through the word of God. People say all the time, if God showed up right now and he spoke to me from the sky, then I would do what he said. No, you wouldn't. You know how I know that? Because this book records a whole entire nation where God did that and they still didn't obey him. There's an element of faith and obedience that has to be implemented in your life in order for the word of God to be effective in your life. And for you to get a real relationship out of the God of the, the creator of the universe wants to know you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. You are not an accident. You are not here just because, you know, you are here because God decided you had a soul and he wanted you to live a life. Thank God he gave you that opportunity. But beyond that, understand this, not only did God place you here, God reveals himself to you through the word of God. And so when it comes to this matter of, can I trust my Bible? Can I believe the words of God? A lot of argument out there these days is this. uh, The book you have, that old King James Bible, it's so old-fashioned. It's so archaic. You can't understand it. It's old. We have to replace it with something new. And, and, And let me just say this much. I said it before. I'll say it again. Just because something is old does not mean that it's right. But let me also say this, just because it's new doesn't mean you ought to be chasing it. Look at Jeremiah chapter 6, Jeremiah chapter 6. I am thankful for oxygen. Who's thankful for oxygen? Oxygen is old-fashioned. You know that? It's been around for thousands of years. I'm thankful for the sunshine. It's old-fashioned, though. It's been around vitamin D. It's been around a long time. I'm so thankful for that. I am thankful for food. I'm a good Baptist. I like to eat, all right? I'm th- food's been around for a very long time. There are things that, that are been around a long time, but they're still effective, yet they're old-fashioned. They've been around a long time, and yet we look at it and go, well, it doesn't matter whether it's old-fashioned or not. I like to eat. It doesn't matter if it's old-fashioned. I like to breathe, right? And, and so just because it's old doesn't mean you ought to get rid of it. All right, look, we live in a very, I would say, consumer uh, society, uh, consumer-driven society. When something's old, get rid of it. Uh, back in the old days, and, and I don't know that we have anyone here that lived through the Depression. All right, we're old, but we're not that old, okay? Uh, I'm talking about the Great Depression of the 1920s and 30s. Uh, you know what people did? They didn't just throw away their clothes. Yeah, they'd get a patch and put it on the jeans. and, and like, They had jeans that had rips in them, but they didn't pay for that. Right. Right? Like, they, were, they were ripped up because they were working on the farm or whatever else, and they patch it up. And, and you say, why? Because uh, it's still good. It, it, it's old. Get rid of it. No, no, but I still need this. It works. 
Some things that are old still work. Can I say this? The nuclear family still works. All right? Uh, keeping yourself pure until you're married is a good thing. It's old-fashioned, but it works. All right? Now, now I'm, I, I could go on and on. Look at Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah 6, stand with me if you will. We're going to read a couple verses together. And you might walk out and go, ah, oh, this guy's old-fashioned. You can call me whatever you want to. It doesn't change what is right or what is true. Jeremiah chapter 6. Let's read in verse number 10. Jeremiah chapter 6. Uh, starting in verse number 10. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, meaning they won't listen. Their ear is closed up, and they're not listening to God. And they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. I'll tell you what, there are times where I'm preaching, and someone's on the edge of their seat and like, yeah, yes, that's right, that's good. And it's not like... It's not because of what I'm saying. It's because of what the Bible says. I'm just repeating what's already in the book. And some people are like, man, I need more. This is great. And then there are some folks who are like, you know, they're looking at their watch, you know, looking at the, the decorations on the wall. And they're just wondering, when is this going to be done? You know what? They have no delight in it at all. And, and the Lord is talking to an entire nation that does not delight. This is the key in his words. Uh, look down, if you would, at verse number uh, 15. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they weren't at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Guys and gals, let me tell you something. In the 1950s in our country, if I were to speak publicly about things you look at and see in downtown Denver that are happening in broad daylight, men and women would blush. Oh, it's just so old-fashioned. They, they, uh, let, let me tell you something. They at least knew how to keep a marriage together. They knew how to pay their bills, not getting in debt. They knew how to stay away from addiction. How are we doing? Uh, look, look, if you would, at verse number 16. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways, because there are more than one, and see. Now, let me just remind you, Jesus Christ said, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. And yet the Lord shows us. It's not that the Lord is denying there aren't other ways. There's only one right way. <laughs> There's only one true way. So he says, look, you guys want to test it out? Okay, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the, what's the next word? Good way. Good way. And walk therein and you shall find rest for your souls. Well, what do they say? No, thanks. We don't need that. That's old-fashioned. And what I subscribe to you tonight is the reason that America and the Western civilizations and the mess that it's in is because the church, not the lost people, lost has always been lost. The church said, we don't want the old ways anymore. We want something new. And let me tell you something. Nature abhors a vacuum. And when you get rid of that which is tried and true, something is going to take its place. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Brother Tim, if you ask God's blessing on the word.
Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would. I know I've shared this story before, but I want to share it again. When we were starting our church in our living room, it was, uh, it was myself, uh, the, the assistant pastor, Lacey Dominguez, <laughs> the deacons, Ariana and Isabella Dominguez, you know, and the, the greeter, Emma, once she was born. And we really did. It was literally our family. I think after a little bit, my dad uh, would come to our house and have a Bible study church service uh, with us. And eventually, about a couple months into that, uh, word got out to some people that uh, I guess you call them Bible believer junkies. You know, they kind of hear about a new church. It's a Bible believing church. They go, let's go check it out. And they did. Uh, down south, they call them diesel sniffers. You say, what does that mean? Just kind of follow the, the direction of the big bus and follow wherever the new thing is at, you know. And, and so, you know, here's this new church trying to start off, and here we are in our living room. And I, I, I remember we finally had a, a young couple that came to our church, and they are going through some things. We got to help them out. And, and then after that, a, a couple of families started coming. This is in our house. And uh, we got excited, man. We got a church now. We got some people, and, and their last name is not all Dominguez. You know, so we got a church going, right? Now, I'll never forget, uh, we, we announced we're going to be moving from our house and to a real, uh, I, I guess, real church building uh, in the sense of no longer our house, a, a more of a public building, right? And so I remember announcing that. And I remember uh, a guy uh, that was part of this family, the, the dad of the family, after that service, uh, he's walking out and he's saying, you know what, I think this may be our last Sunday. And uh, I said, oh, okay, what's going on? Ah, I don't know, man. I think maybe the Lord wants to do something else. And, uh, you know, my opinion, I guess, after the fact was that, that really what was going on is he wanted to be somewhere when it was new and where it was just about him and, and us. And, and now we're going to branch out and be a real church and, and, and try to extend ourselves to our community. And it's no longer about him and what he can offer. And now he wants to go take his, his toys and go play in a different sandbox. You say, why? That constant desire for something new. And oh, by the way, on his way out, and on top of saying that, he goes, by the way, the way you preach, that, that, kind of like that, that dogmatic, you know, old-fashioned approach, no one is ever going to come to your church if you preach that way. Okay. You say, what did you say? I didn't know what to say. Yeah. 28 years old, I'm like, uh, okay, okay, all right, brother. Um, Lord bless you. Now, I'm not picking on the guy, but I'll tell you what, that guy's been through all kinds of mess in the last couple years of his life, and he's come floated through here. You don't even know him. That's okay. 
He's floated in and out of here a couple times. Life broken. You know why? Chasing something new. Instead of just sticking with what works and with what is right and with what is true. Quit trying to reinvent the wheel, Christian. God has given us his words. We, we went through and we talked about uh, God inspiring his words and how God translated those words in a, our language today and, and how God preserved those words and how we have to apply those words in our lives if we want to see God work. But, but look, notice in the passage, can I, can I show you something real quick? Look at uh, verse number 16 in Jeremiah 6. Notice what he says here. He says, stand ye in the ways. You know what that means? Stop for a moment and consider what's going on. Look at what's going on in the world. And the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. Guys, and I'm not, I, 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 sometimes you may think it's a soapbox. It really isn't. It's because it's what's going on. It's what's prevalent. I want you to understand that what's prevalent and popular is not always right biblically. And when you take a soft approach with sin, it'll destroy you. So we draw a line in this church and say, you know what? If it's perverted, I don't care if it's heterosexual, homosexual, uh, non-binary. If it's wrong, it's wrong. And just because you want to redefine it today doesn't make it right. So, so what I'm getting at is this. If that's true out there in regards to social issues, can we not take the same approach with the words of God themselves? Can we stand and stop and look at what's going on and go, how did we get here? Look what he says next. Stand the ways and see. You know what you ought to learn to do? Just look around. Observe some things. And, and just observe what's going on around us and say, okay, Lord, this is clearly not going in the right direction. Notice what he says after this. And ask. So you see, you see, they have to, you have to stop, you have to see, you have to seek from the Lord and ask for that which is right. And notice what God promises, ye shall find rest for your souls. Let me tell you something right now, there's more antidepressants on the market, there's more drugs, they're, they're trying to deal with psychosis, more drugs out there than ever before. Why? Because there's no rest for the soul. And everybody's just busy going on with whatever the doctors and whatever the media and whatever the world and whatever the spirit of the age says. That's what everybody else is doing, so we're going to do that. And other churches are abandoning the old book, so we'll get a new one. Stop! Think about why things are going the way they're going. Do you, do you think that maybe some of this has to do with the idea of whether or not there is such a thing as absolute truth? Uh, Jesus is standing right in front of Pilate, and what does Pilate say? What is truth? And this truth is right in front of you, man. But you didn't see it. You know why? Because you weren't really asking because you wanted to know. If there is such a thing as absolute truth, and God is that truth, does it not beg to reason that that God who is absolute truth would reveal himself in like manner? that he would present himself in absolute truth. If God is going to reveal himself, and that's what the Bible is, is God's oracle, God's speaking through men, and God's revelation of himself to mankind. Listen, I said this before, I'm going to say it again. This is not like the Quran. Here's why. You got one guy that wrote the entire book of the Quran. 
And this guy had a vision, and you got to trust that that guy's telling you the truth. This book is written by scores of authors on three continents over thousands of years of time, and it all goes together without contradiction one time. That's different. Even when you look at the Eastern literature and the Vedas and the Shastas and all that stuff, it's the same thing. You ever pick up some of that stuff, the oneness and the, you know, and the, uh, uh, the finding of, of oneself and the essence of the universe and finding one's center and all. It's like, well, what in the world is that? You can't define it. How about this? Don't look at a woman that ain't your wife. You got that one? That's in that book. How about this one? Hey, man, treat your wives better than you treat yourself. That's in that book. You know what this book does? It deals with human nature like no other book does. So you know what you have? You've got a a book that was supernaturally given to us by God and perfectly preserved just as God is perfectly preserved from yesterday, today, and forever. Just like your soul will be perfectly preserved if you're saved until the day of redemption. So just because something is old doesn't mean we get rid of it. Let me say this. I'm going to flip it on its head for a moment. All right? I'm not here to advocate that just because this is old that it's right. For the last several weeks, we talked about why it's right. I'm not going to go through all those things again. If you want to go back and listen to it, listen to it. But here's what I will tell you. Old does not always mean best. How about this one? Yea, hath God said. The first question in the Bible, the most original question in the Bible, comes from a liar and a deceiver. You shouldn't ask that question, but it's the oldest one. It's questioning what God said. You know what uh, the devil does in the Garden of Eden? He Basically, New Age, you know what New Age is? It's Genesis chapter 3. Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. That's New Age, right? It's finding the divine spark from within me and revealing that divineness from within me, and I can be like God, right? You say, what is it? It's so dangerously close to the truth because the Bible says, we shall, future tense if you're saved, be like him. In other words, you're not there yet, but someday he's going to take you home and you'll be just like him. Why? Because the seed is within you if you're saved. But if you're not, that's not there. So just because something's old, new age is an old lie. doesn't always mean it's the best. New doesn't always mean you ought to go after it and chase it. And it's not so much whether it's old or whether it's new, but the question is, what's right? And if what is right happens to be old, you should not automatically discard it just because of its age. And that's what we see going on all around us in modern-day Christianity. Look, if you would, at Acts chapter uh, 17. Acts chapter number 17. You know what some people do? They literally live, some Christians even, live to find new stuff online. You know, I, I heard somewhere that uh, the name of Jesus, you shouldn't pray in his name. Why? Where would you hear that? I know this. You didn't read in your Bible. He literally tells you to pray in his name. Well, is it, is it Yahweh? Is it Yahweh? Is it, you're English-speaking people. You're not even Hebrew. Quit trying to play like that. All right? You know, uh, how about this one? You know, the Bilderberger Society, the Illuminati. Oh, yeah, what's going on with that? You know, and, and what about the missing books of the Bible? Oh, I saw this video, oh man, I saw this video on YouTube, and it talked about the book of Jasher. Did you know about the book of Jasher? You know, what about the, oh, here's a good one. What about the book of Enoch? Oh, oh, see, I got you, didn't I? Yeah, you're like, oh, yeah. 
the book of Enoch. There's stuff in there that the Bible doesn't have. We should go looking. Let me just say this right now. Quit trying to find a book that you're probably not going to even read once you get it when you've got a book in your hand that you're not reading. <laughs> Amen. So, so you know, just this idea, I've got to find what's new. Here's, here's one that's old, and it's really like from the dark ages, and it's made its way back. I'll never forget, a guy came and visited our church a couple times with his family, and he seemed normal. <laughs> and he said about right over there where Johnny's at, and it's not Johnny, don't pick on Johnny, all right? And this guy sat down over there and, and kind of seemed normal and all that. And then one day, about two weeks after visiting our church, he sent me a text message, and it was a picture of Pike's Peak. And, uh, and he said, do you see that? I'm like, that's beautiful. I mean, I thought that's what the picture was all about. He's like, no, do you see it? I'm like, I don't know what's going on right now. And I was like, I, 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 I mean, I don't, I'm not sure if, I, if I'm following. He goes, well, there's no way it would look that way from this distance and look that way yet from this distance. And there are different distances if we, the world was really round. <laughs> Flat earth. <laughs> hey, man, that's, just, that's not new. They thought Columbus would sail off the edge of the square back in the day. Listen, the Bible talks about he that sitteth on the circle of the earth. That's in the book of Isaiah. The world is not flat. And you would know that if you read your Bible. And yet there are people that, that, oh, but I saw this documentary online. And, oh, it's just so compelling. And, Pastor, you should. I'm not going to spend 30 or 40. If you send it to me, I love you. I really do. But just know up front, I'm not going to watch it. Because I don't have time enough to be in my Bible. I'm sure, in, as you know what, not going to spend my time on that garbage. So, so here's what I'm getting at. There's this, this craving of new. I got to know what's new. I got, how about just getting established with some old-fashioned truths? You know what would be good for some of you? Get up at 5 a.m. and read your Bible. Some of you guys want to be men. You can't get up before 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning. There's, there's some girls in here that are beating you guys at that. And you want to be the man of your house? You're not ready to be a man of your house. Oh, I can tell I'm making friends. I don't care if you like me or not. The, the reality is this. The, the, if you want to grow some spiritual character in life, you need to learn to do things that are old over and over and over and over and over. Here, people come to me, Pastor, uh, we're really struggling in this area, and we don't know what to do, okay? What's the, oh, it's finances. Oh, it's our marriage. Okay, stop, time out. Are you reading your Bible faithfully? What does that have anything to do with it? Oh, it has everything to do with it. You want to have a man sit down with you and try to give you wisdom from a book that you're not reading. Look at Acts chapter 17. See what's going on here in Acts. Well, Paul, and we're going to talk about archaic words. Don't worry, we're going to get to the, to the meat here, but I'm trying to lay a foundation, and the, the foundation will be way longer then the, what I'm going to show you as far, as far as archaic words are concerned, look at Acts uh, 17. Acts 17. Look, if you would, at verse number 19. Acts 17, verse 19. And they took him, these are the Greeks in Athens, the Athenians. They took him, Paul, and brought him. And this, now, you know what? Let me go back to verse 18. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, Paul, and some said, what will this babbler say? Others, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them who? Not the flat earth, not the Illuminati, not the one world government. Not, he, he preached to them Jesus. 
That's what the world needs. And, and so it's a universal message and, and the resurrection. And they took him, verse 19, and brought him under the Oropagus, saying, may we know what this, what's the next two words? Ooh, we just can't wait to learn about this. Ooh, we're just, now just because someone wants it doesn't mean they want it for the right reason. All right, now they, they, we want to know what some new thing. Teach us a new thing. Teach us a new thing. Teach us a new thing. Look, if you would, at verse number 20. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Instagram reels, TikTok. Is it making any sense, guys? I got to just see something new, something new, funny, sad, emotional, something new, something new, something new, YouTube documentary, something new. How about you go back to a book that miraculously and supernaturally was given from heaven down to earth through human instruments into your hands when you didn't have to pay for it with your blood like other people did throughout church history. You got it for a couple bucks or maybe for free. And there it is in your hands. But I want to know something new. There's all kinds of new things in there that you haven't learned yet. Even though it's an old book. Guys, I've read my Bible over 50 times. I, I stopped counting. You know what I've learned? Every time I go through it, I'm like, that wasn't there before. Yeah. Same exact words, but it's like, that wasn't there before. Yeah. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. If you think the Bible is boring, you haven't read the Bible yet. Or you haven't read it being saved. You get in that book with the Spirit of God, the author living inside of you, and you start reading that thing and go, there is no book like this book. That, it's almost like it's alive. Like, whoa, stop, stop jumping around words, right? Like, like, that wasn't there before, but it was. You just didn't see it. You get some great new things from an old book. But a lot of Christians today are just wanting what's new out there. What's new, what's new. Let me, let me help you out. Marriages. You know what happens when you're dating? Hmm, so romantic. <laughs> Holding hands, getting close. If you're raised in like a Christian home, it's like we do like the, you know, we kind of get as close as we can without looking like we're doing anything wrong. <laughs> you know? You know? And, and I remember even after me and Lacey were married in Bible school, had no concept that what we did affected other people. Now we're married. For my whole life, it's like, don't touch. Don't touch. Now we're married. I'm touching. <laughs> Ew. How do you think you got here? Okay. That's <laughs> you deserve that one. But when you're, when you're dating, it's all new. It's the butterflies. It's the sensations. It's the feelings. And then you get married. And, and then, like, you see the same person every morning. And stinky breath. And no makeup on. Some of you girls would never leave the house without him seeing you with makeup on. You're going to wake up, and he's going to see you without makeup on. And, and some of you are going to, some of you ladies are going to. And then, event, listen, seriously, five, ten years into it, it's not new anymore. Do you know what a lot of people do? They start fishing online for something new. God gave you exactly what you needed. You were convinced you had to go fishing for something new, and God's like, no, 
this is great. And, and without being weird about the relationship side of things, can I say that it's an awesome thing when you're with one person for 20-some years and you're still discovering new things? Guys, let me tell you something. They're crazy. <laughs> and if you think you understand them, you don't. You will have the rest. Even if you go, oh, I can imagine being only with one woman for my whole life. It's God's plan, number one. Number two, you got enough homework right there. <laughs> you will wake up every morning and go, didn't realize that. So, but, you know, the problem is it's how you look at things. And if you don't value what God values, you're always going to chase something different. You know what God values? His words. People have asked me, what kind of programs? You know, I've, people go shopping for churches like they do shop for, for anything else these days. And what kind of programs do you have? And do you have this and do you have that? And I literally had a guy one time tell me, if you're not going to do this ministry, then I can't join. I said, okay. <laughs> you know, we're not going to start a ministry because you showed up here. That's weird, man. I, I mean, you know, this ain't Walmart. You're not buying what you want here. This is God's house, you know. And, and, so, and so we have this mentality of, of it's got to fit for me. I've got to find this new thing instead of being happy with what God has given me and exploring it further. It blows my mind how often, whether it's with a job or with a marriage or with a church, Christian people cannot sit down and get anchored and grounded and learn and go, you know what, I will be content because God has planted me here in this marriage, in this church, in this Bible, in discipleship, whatever it may be. I got to go find something new. Just slow down. And let's ask ourselves, what does the Bible say about those that are always given to change? The Bible says in Proverbs, meddle not with them. In other words, don't, don't mess with people that are always going from thing to thing to thing to thing. Maybe it's good to be settled. As the Bible says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. It goes back to God's final authority. We see all around us the breakdown of the family. Promotion and protection of perversion. I'm just going to call it like it is. Someone went into a school a couple weeks ago and shot up kids and adults. And... Uh, and then the, the people in government got up and said, we really, our hearts go out to those who are being attacked in the trans community. After the shooting at a Christian school by a trans person, let's flip it around. Let's say a Christian goes into a trans nightclub and shoots it up. What do you think would happen? Now, now what I'm getting at is that, here's what I'm trying to get at. When you remove that which is beautiful and that which is pure, and you, you remove society from esteeming that which is right. Something has to take its place. And all most of you are going, amen, that's not right, so on and so forth. Do you realize when you get rid of God's words as he wanted us to have them, something is going to take its place, and it's not going to be the right thing. I love it when people say, this ain't your grandma's church. You need grandma's church. Amen. Grandma was fiscally responsible. She kept a roof over her kids' heads. She walked with the Lord. She memorized scripture. She wasn't a floozy. Amen, amen, amen. Grandma had some character that we could learn from. You know where grandma got some of that character? From an old Bible in an old church. There are two things that I see in churches under attack more than in churches that's messing up society. Two things. We have replaced Bible preaching with professional psychologists in the pulpit. 
My job is not to like break down and cycle. My job is to say, thus saith the Lord. But, but hear me out. Hear me out. Not just, I'm not justifying this, but I'm trying to explain it. If I didn't believe these were actually God's word and they were perfect, you know what I would do? I would do what they do. Because nature abhors a vacuum. And if I didn't think that these songs that we sing well, it had it has scriptural backing to them. Do you know what I would do? I'd get rid of this, and I'd go the way that, that most churches have gone. The two things that are being changed in our churches more than anything else is the word of God and the worship of God, and they go hand in hand. Look at Second Samuel chapter 6. You go, are we there, the archaic words yet? Nope. That's why I, I told you to bear with me, and we didn't have time for all the testimonies like I'd normally like to, but I wanted to get through this tonight. I wanted to do what I normally cannot do and finish a Bible study on one night. How about that? <laughs> Joe, I don't know why you're smiling. I see that. Second Samuel chapter 6. Second Samuel chapter 6. This is David wanting to do a good thing. I think a lot of Christians today want to do a good thing. I really do. Um, I think this, if you're not in a Bible preaching, Bible teaching church that, that believes the book and preaches it as it is literally, all right, I believe this, if you're not in this kind of, env- I'm not saying that like this church is it. There are other churches that, that believe the right thing, preach the right thing, teach the right thing. But if you're not in a church where you're getting that, I think as a Christian, you may not be held to the same standard at the judgment seat of Christ as some of you in this room. Hear me out. You know what those folks are doing? They're doing what makes sense. It's pragmatism. It's humanism. Well, if it's old and it's hard, let's replace it with something new and easy. So, so instead of saying, hey, look, let's work through, for example, let's tell our kids no to these things. Let's just make it to where at church all the kids are doing it, so it's no big deal. So therefore, it makes it easier. It takes the pressure off mom and dad. Does that make it right? If the Bible reading is too hard, just get rid of it. And get one that's easier to understand. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 6. Look, if you would... At verse 1, David, again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God. The ark was a picture of God's presence and a picture of God's revelation to his people. You know what this is right here, guys? Right here. This is a picture. Not, it's not God. I'm not saying it is. Don't misunderstand me. It's a picture of God's presence, and it's a picture of God's revelation to mankind, just like the ark was. You know what David and the people of Israel do? Let's keep reading. Look, if you would, at verse number three. And they set the ark of God upon a what? Do you realize the ark was supposed to be carried by these staves, these sticks, and the Levites were there supposed to lift it up and carry it? Oh, that's just so old-fashioned. Why would you carry it if you instead just put it in a cart? Wouldn't that make it easier? Wouldn't that make it quicker? Wouldn't that make it, in our eyes, more efficient? All right, well, you know what? David's just thinking pragmatically. I want to make it easier for the people. Listen, just because it's new and it's easier doesn't mean it's right. For example, do you realize you could watch a YouTube thing on th- for about 30 minutes and learn some stuff about electricity? And you go, see, I didn't have to read any books. I watched this thing. I learned it. Let me ask you in a week how much you remembered out of that. Versus reading an actual book that takes you a week to read. You will retain so much more. But that's hard. And that's boring. And that's old. And so the Bible says, give attendance to reading. And so most kids coming out of high school are having a hard time with what? 
reading. <laughs> That's being done on purpose. So when the devil shows up, you cannot tell what the words of God, the real words of God are, and what the fake words of God are. You can't tell who the real Christ is and who the Antichrist is. It's all done for on purpose. What, what am I getting at? Let's just make it easier for everybody. You know what's easier? Get the, the hymn books out of your hand. It's just one more thing to carry. Get rid of that. But I'm not, listen, by the way, I'm not saying if you have words on a screen, you're evil, you're wicked. But the motive is what I'm talking about. What's the motive? If you're in a church, and I'm not kidding right now, if you're in a church and you got a lot of older folks, and they're like, man, it'd be a lot easier if it was just, if they're doing this. It'd be a whole lot easier if it was, okay, we'll help you out, fine. But you know, that's a whole lot different what's going on these days. You understand that. Well, well that, the, the hymn book, is, it's just one more piece of hardware. We don't need that in the church. We can save money. It'll be easier, more convenient. Just throw it up here and get like five people that can really sing, and everybody else out there goes, no, 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 no. They're not actually worshiping. They're just following people up here. You know what that is, guys? It's going back to the Catholic Church where one group of people are the select few and you guys are the dummies out there that don't know anything. I came out of that. I'm not going back to it. I don't care if you call it non-denominational, whatever you want to call it. I'm not going back to that for anybody. You say, what am I I saying? Just because it's new and convenient doesn't mean it's right. Well, this is old and hard. Learn how to read better. Okay, question, question. Who in, in, in high school took literature? Raise your hands. Anybody read here uh, Shakespeare? Anybody? Raise your hand. Don't do the half thing. We're in church. Put it up there. Okay, all right. So, so if you read that, did you ever go to the teacher and go, can we just please update this language? <laughs> no. They would have been like, you idiot. It's Shakespeare. Learn Shakespearean Elizabethan English. Learn what he said. Well, I don't know what those words are. Well, look them up. You look everything else up on your phone for crying out loud. Look up what the word means. And yet, when it comes to the Bible, we just got to make it easier. Well, maybe making it easier is not necessarily the right answer. Just thinking out loud. You say, how do you know? Well, they put it on a new cart. Look, if you would at, oh, verse number... Six, and when they came to, oh, by the way, they had a whole band. They had a worship team. Everyone's excited. They're all, listen, the fervor's there, the passion's there, the desire's there, the zeal is there, but they're not doing it God's way because they found a more convenient and easy way. Hey, we won't, we won't strain any muscles this way. You won't get a Charlie horse this way. You won't have to wipe the sweat off your forehead anymore. We're going to put it on a cart, and guess what? You guys have to worry about it. The oxen will carry the burden for you. Yeah, but that's not what God said. Well, does it really matter what God said? Well, let's look at verse 6. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen. You mean to tell me the instruments you were using to make it easier weren't exactly stable? So things got shaky when you replaced the way God said to do it? Look, if you would, at verse number 7. And the anger of the Lord... I just can't believe God. If God's got a love, I love you guys when you say stuff like that. If God's got when someone, if God's got a love, okay. So you're made in the image of God, yes. Simple question. I promise it's Bible, <laughs> right? And, and do you ever get angry about anything? Do you ever get excited about anything? Do you ever cry about anything? Can can we give God some slack and allow Him the emotions that you allow yourself? God was angry because. They had taken what he said, and they said, we'll replace that with what's easy and convenient. Look what happens. 
And God smote him there for his error, and there he died. What's the big deal if we change something? Maybe someone dies spiritually. Maybe it kills an entire generation, spiritually speaking. Because you're messing with what God said. You're messing with the authority of God's words. You are, cha- you are playing God. I'm sure some of you have seen it because you like the internet. Uh, you've seen the, the, the room. It's a virtual um, representation of these artificial wombs. And it's a whole entire room of thousands of these babies that are incubating these artificial wombs. Kind of creepy looking, kind of futuristic. Very, uh, you know, utopian society kind of weirdo stuff. And, and you say, what is that? That's playing God. That's playing God. You know, it's playing God when you go, I don't like that word. Let's change it. It's playing God. Do you realize in verse 6, Uzzah put forth his what? Some things are things you shouldn't touch. God doesn't want you messing with once he's established them. This book is one of those things. Say, what was the consequence? We just wanted to make it easier. Yeah, but it didn't. You have to understand where we're at, guys. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter. This is midweek Bible. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So, preacher, what am I supposed to do? How about level up your reading? Like, put your phone down, learn how to read books. And I don't mean, I'm not trying to be funny or cynical or derogatory or demeaning or any of that. But, like, literally, our society, I have 20 somethings that work for me, and they go, I don't have time to read. I'm like, dude, I've got six kids. I'm pastoring a church. I'm running this business. I'm reading. You have no excuse. You walked your dog. Read a book. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, look if you would at verse 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the only employee that is in their 20s that faithfully attends my church is someone that actually does read books, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, look if you would at verse number 3. Let no man deceive you by any means for that day, talking about the day of Christ when the Lord comes back, shall not come except there come a what? Now, let me, let me interpret this the right way for you. In order for something to fall away from something, that means it had to have been there at one time. Fair? This is not about the world. This is about the church. Do you know how the church fell away? It started with us playing God and going, it's too hard to read. Let's change it. Let's make it more convenient. Let's make it more modern. Let's make it, in some cases, more hip. Let's make it more relevant. I'm sorry, guys, but thou shalt not lie. Like, I know it's archaic to say thou, but I'm pretty sure if I say thou shalt not commit adultery, you got me, right? Am I right? You got it, right? All right, so, so, so in other words, the things that we say, oh, it's so old-fashioned, it's so hard to read, it's so hard to understand, I'm going to prove you that's a lie. That's not the motive. People say that the reason that we have all these Bibles out there is to make it easier to read, and, and we got archaic words. Here's one of them. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 13. They'll say that the, book, the King James Bible is archaic, it's hard to read. Uh, I want to show you that's not really the motive. That's the excuse. Look at Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Matthew 13. And look if you would at verse number 20. Matthew 13, verse number 20. But he that received the seed into stony places. This is the parable of the sower and the seed. You can read about this earlier part of the chapter. He gives you the, the parable. This is now the interpretation of 
of said parable. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number uh, uh, 20. I'm sorry, this is the, dicta, the, 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 uh, yeah, the interpretation. Look at verse 20. He that received the seed in the stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and what's the next word? Well, who knows what that means? Thanks, Lord, for giving us an old-fashioned word that we can't read. Thanks a lot. Well, keep your hand there and look at Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. You know what God did? He made sure you'd get it. The Lord's looking out for you. Um, But rather than saying it's too hard to read and I can't get it, I'll say this. There's a couple things that go on when someone tells me that. Number one, I always go, are you saved? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because if you don't have the Spirit of God inside of you, these words will never make any sense. They're spiritual in nature. All right? So the, after that, they go, yeah, I'm saved. Okay, have you, been, have, are you, have you ever been discipled? Are you faithfully attending a church? Well, not really. I'm looking for one. Okay, now I'm starting to figure out, here's a saved individual that's not following God's plan. God's plan, according to Ephesians 4, that you're not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, is that you get established in a church. And without that, you're going to have a hard time. Now, let me tell you something. You've got the interpreter of the Word of God because he's the author of the Word of God living inside of you if you're saved. So you know what to do next time you come across the Word and you go, God, I can't get it. I don't know what this is. Lord, would you show it to me? You know what you do? You pray and ask the Lord to show you. And you know what happen if you just keep reading your Bible and you keep reading, you, you read Matthew 14, it's not there. Matthew 15, it's not there. All the way through Matthew 28. Go, Lord, I can't find it. Then you get into Mark. You get into Mark 1, Mark 2, Mark 3. And you get to Mark chapter 4. And all of a sudden, the Lord goes, hey, remember that thing you couldn't understand in Matthew 13? Let me show you what it is. Look at verse 16. And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, what's the next word? Same exact parable, given in a different book, and he tells you what it means. Anon means immediately. When you come across a word you don't understand in the Bible, you know one of the things you ought to do? Read and keep reading and keep reading and pray, and ask the Lord to show you what it means. You'd be surprised how often in another passage it explains what that word means. Here's another thing you ought to do. Look at the context of the word. If I'm listening to a word, and I'm learning a new language, for example, and I'm trying to understand, and I hear this one word in this sentence, and I don't know what that one word means, all right? Listen, I was uh, raised in a Spanish-speaking home, but I don't preach in Spanish. And so when I have to preach in Spanish, it's a lot of work for me because it's a completely different language. Bible language is a language all of its own. Street Spanish and me talking about the birds in the air and then, you know, the, the job and the kids and the family, no problem. The, the finca, the farm, the, what, I can do that. But you get me to preach the word of God in Spanish, different story. Why? Because these are spiritual words. And, and, and so, you know what I do? I look at the context of that word and go, well, okay, let's look at the entire word or the entire verse and look at that one word I don't understand. How is that word being used in the passage? And oftentimes you can tell. All right, uh, here's another one. Look, if you would, at 1 Samuel chapter number 9. 1 Samuel chapter number 9. This makes sense? It's an archaic word, and you go, I don't understand it. Okay, well, keep reading. Uh, anytime someone goes, I don't understand something, I, you know what I tell them oftentimes in the Bible? Keep reading, keep praying. You, you see, what you want is you want, you want to be able to, fl- it, that's the problem. That's why some of you, we don't understand something in the Bible. You go, what does it say on YouTube? And that's why you're getting confused. And you're like, well, this guy says this, and this guy says this, and half the things that you think you about that you think you think about the Bible, you would not have come up with on your own from reading the Bible. But you went to Google and went to here, went to there, instead of going, Lord, would you show me what this is? Look at First Samuel chapter nine. If you had a book that the entire world wanted to understand, and the author was someone you knew very personally, and you could text him at any moment 
or call them at any moment or email them at any moment and go, hey, what does this mean in your book? Would you do it? Would you take advantage of that privilege? I would. You got the author living inside of you if you're saved. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 9. 1 Samuel 9. Look, if you would, at verse number 11. 1 Samuel 9, verse number 11. I'm going to show you another archaic word in your Bible. All right? Verse 11, as they went up to the hill, to the, to the city, they found young maidens going out to draw water and said unto them, is the... What in the world is a seer? What is that? We don't use that word today. Look at verse 18. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is. Well, okay, well, what is that? <laughs> Look at verse 19. And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Ah, so someone's claiming to be the seer. So what are you? <laughs> right? He's still using that word that, that really we don't necessarily understand what it means. Uh, uh, look at first, keep your hand there. Look at First Chronicles chapter twenty-one. I told you, midweek Bible study. We're going to flip around a little bit. First Chronicles chapter twenty-one. First Chronicles chapter twenty-one. And look at verse number nine. And the Lord spake. This is after David messes up with uh, uh, the the numbering of the people, and and many uh, thousands of people, scores of thousands of people die. Verse uh, 9, and the Lord speak unto Gad, David's what? All right, well, if you don't know who Gad is, and you don't know who Samuel is, you might be hard-pressed to figure out what the word means. Now, if you know who those people are, you automatically know it's a prophet. A seer is a prophet. Now, I can prove it to you. Look back at First Samuel chapter 9, verse number 9. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse number 9. Before time in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, thus he spake, Come, and let us go to the seer. Colon, let me explain what that word means. For he that is now called a, was before time called a, you, you know what, rather than go, let's get rid of the word, go, you know, maybe we should just explain what that word used to mean. That's what God did in his own book. This is how this word used to be used, and just because you guys got... And by the way, do you realize that from the time that this historical incident took place to the time that 1 Samuel was written is about 40 years of time? We're not talking about hundreds of years. 40 years. L ladies and gentlemen, there are words in English, in American English, that we don't use today, that we used 40, 50 years ago. So if, if you're going to try to write a Bible for every... Good luck to keeping up with that. How about instead of rewriting it, we just learn what the definition is? Let me, let, me, let, me, let me show you something real quick here on the board, and then I'm going to try to wrap this thing up. So if you come across a word you don't know, how about you keep reading your Bible and pray that God shows you? How about you look at the context? How about you look and see if somewhere in the passage itself it tells you what the word means like it does here? All right, so here are some words that are old-fashioned, and hard to read and understand. And some of them are more simple. If I asked you, do you know what a prince is? Who here knows what a prince is? Who knows what a satrap is? You know what dung is, don't you? You ever call it awful? The sun was up. That's language we use today. The ascent of Heres. I love waking up to watch the Ascent of Heres in the morning. <laughs> Boy, I'm so blessed. Every morning when the Ascent of Heres rises, I mean, come on, no one says that. 
tree. <laughs> yep, that's pretty plain, isn't it? Who knows what a tam tamarisk tree is? Elms versus turbans. Quicksand. Anybody know what quicksand is? How about Sirtis sands? We were sinking in Sirtis sand. And I cried out to the Lord. No one talks that way. All right, you know what's really funny about this? This is King James. This is New King James. How you like me now? <laughs> so, so if it was, we're going to clear it all up and get rid of the archaic words. They're lying to you. They're lying to you. That's not what it's about. It has a lot more to do with making money than anything else. Why am I showing you this? Oh, how about this one? Um, cut in pieces. You know what cut in pieces means? I was blunted. No, cut in pieces makes a lot more sense. I get that. You know what blunted is? NIV. Uh, strong. You know what strong means? How about blustering? Ooh, his arms were so blustering. <laughs> Gay. <laughs> uh, how about bracelets? Bracelet? You know what a bracelet is? <laughs> nope. In the NIV, they're brooches, baby. <laughs> Come on, man. Like, someone lied to you when they said they're going to clear up all the archaic words. You can have archaic words in all, in all the Bibles. The question is, which ones are right? And after this series, what I'm hoping and what I'm prayerful of is that you would have heard everything that was said and you'd understand that due to the historical, you can look at the history and how God blessed this book like no other book, the revivals that took place under the ministry of this book right here, the missionary movements that took place under this book right here, the preaching that existed. I mean, guys, the Prince of Preachers and Charles Spurgeon and, 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 and uh, uh, Dwight L. Moody, going back to Billy Sunday, and before those guys, uh, George Whitfield and John Wesley and Charles Wesley, and these men that went out, David Brainerd, the great missionary to the Indians, uh, these, uh, Iron Arm Judson and Hudson Taylor, this was all, the great missionary movements was all under this. You know what the modern Bibles brought you? That's what they brought you. Now, if you think I'm being funny, I grew up in a church that did that. I'm not just making fun of them. I'm trying to tell you there's a reason why things are moving in the way they're moving. And, and it goes back to when you start tampering with God's words. So here's what I'm praying that you'll do. I'm praying that you will do what is said in 2 Timothy. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 1. We're going to wrap it up. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I want to let you guys cut loose, let you get home so you can binge a little bit on Netflix. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter. Don't don't look at me like that. Some like preacher. I'm so tired. I gotta get home and binge on Netflix. Second Timothy chapter. Don't. I see y'all got quiet. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Second Timothy chapter one. Second Timothy chapter one. Look if you would at verse number thirteen. Second Timothy one verse thirteen. I'm not saying watching TV is evil. I'm just I'm trying to be lighthearted about the fact that it's spiritually when you are in the words of God it's tiring. The, the Bible says much studying is a weariness of the flesh. Do you guys know what the word, <laughs> uh, so if someone is a theist, they believe in a God, right? So what is an atheist? No God. A Gnostic, ginosko, the Greek word, right? That's a knower, someone that knows something. An agnostic says, I'm not saying there is no God, I just don't know. Yo no sé, right? All right, 
How about this? <laughs> to muse. You know what that is? To think. You know what most of us do to relax? <laughs> right? That's why when you're in church reading your Bible, you're like, oh, 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 so tired. Got to go home to get to Netflix and watch Friends for the seventh time. Second Timothy chapter 1, look if you would at verse 13. Second Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 13. Hold fast. You know what that means? You go, oh, that's old-fashioned. Oh, really? Go pick up some liquid fastener at the hardware store. You know what a fastener is? Something that tightens and holds on to something. It ain't as archaic as you think it is. All right? Hold fast the form of what? Go to Philippians chapter 2. We'll close. Philippians chapter 2. There are two ways to make the Bible completely ineffective in your life. Method number one, don't believe that it's of God. Don't be a Bible believer. Don't believe these words are pure. Believe that you can make it whatever you want it to be. You can interpret it however you want. You can do whatever you want because there is no absolute authority. Method number two is if you are an actual believer, don't apply it to your life. So you know what, you know what the Bible, I don't, we could take time to do, look at all the verses. I'm not going to do that. You know what the Bible says to do with the Bible? Study the Bible. Memorize the Bible. Hide it in your heart. Read the Bible. Speak the words from the Bible. Sing, Ephesians chapter 5, sing the words of the Bible. So you know, you know what the Bible says to do with it? To bring it in a little bit closer in your life. Philippians chapter 2, we'll, we'll close here. Look at verse 16. Holding forth like this. Kind of like a lamp that's lighting your way. Sometimes they'll send the boys out at night to close the chicken coop if it gets blown open or whatever. And they'll go out there with a flashlight. Or they'll say, Bella, can I borrow your phone and turn the little light thing on the Apple, the iPhone, you know, and t- you know, do that thing and put, put it out like that. But you don't take the phone and put it behind you. You don't take the flashlight and put it behind you. You put it out in front of you. So you can see where you're going. In these last days, you want to see where you're going. You want to see where the world's going. You want to understand what's going on all around you. You know what you need? You need this book right here. You know what they said when this was written? How will the entire world look at an image of a man? The Bible was right when it was written. How can you put a mark into someone's skin? There's no way of doing that back then. It's here now. Do you know the modern Bibles change it and put the word on? You got it. In, you got the mark not just on you, but you got it in you. We didn't. People didn't understand that back then. You say, well, "This book's way ahead of the game, man." Look at look at verse sixteen, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. That's when He comes back. That I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. My prayer is that you would not just believe the Bible after this series that we've done. You didn't get to watch, all, if you weren't here for all of them, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to some of it. My prayer is not that you just say, I'm a Bible believer, but you'd walk out of here and go, because I believe the Bible, I'm going to let it touch every aspect of my life. My friendships, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my fiance, my marriage, my children, my money, my job. There's not an area of my life that this doesn't touch. I want you to change me, Lord, like we learned on Sunday. Let's stop here. Father, we love you.
Lord, thank you for these dear people, Lord, to sit for an hour plus and, and listen to preaching is rare. I know that. There's not a lot of people today that will do that. And I just, I thank you for these people, Lord. I mean it, Lord. I, I am blessed to have the church that I do and people that want to hear from you, people that want to learn your word. God, I pray that every one of us, Lord, whether it's someone that's been saved here for less than a year or someone that's been saved for several decades, Lord, would you help us never get to a place where the Bible is stale bread, it's old and we don't need it anymore and I'm well beyond that, but Lord, that we would hunger for it, we would crave it, we would desire it. And Lord, that every morning we'd wake up and we'd pursue you. Lord, as the song says, the deer panteth, as the heart, the Bible says, panteth for the water, Lord. So my soul longeth after thee. Lord, there would be a thirst and a desire. Lord, if if there is no thirst and desire in us for spiritual things and spiritual words, we will never be able to give that hunger and that desire to people out there. They'll never know what to crave. They're, they're given in all kinds of addictions and cravings. Lord, but we've got the answer. Lord, would you help us to represent you right, starting with our time in these words. Before we leave today, I'm just going to ask you, Christian, before we dismiss, take a moment, maybe just do some inventory. What's your, what's your time lately like in the Word of God? And, and, and how much time are you allowing to slip into other things? And when you read the Bible, are you, are you actually going, Lord, I'm actually thinking about what I'm reading, or am I thinking about the kids, and thinking about the bills, and thinking about my job, and thinking about... Don't, don't be the Christian that just does it out of habit. And three chapters into it, you're like, I have no clue what I just read. Like, let these words change you. Let them just, let your eyes pour over. Let them just soak into your spirit and into your mind. Because here's the truth, Christian. If the words of God are not being brought in at that level, you're doing it with something. Something's coming in at that level. And it'll take up that room and it will change you, but not for the better. It won't change you to be more like Jesus. If you want to be more like Jesus Christ, let this book change you. Let his words change you. Let me say this. I understand it's Wednesday night. I know we've been here a long time. I get it. But if you're here and you don't know what it means to be saved, you've never been born again. Maybe you've been to church. Maybe you've been baptized. Maybe you're trying to live a good life. I'm not knocking you. You might be a a way better person than me. But here's the deal. You don't stand in front of me at Judgment Day. You stand beside a sinless man named Jesus Christ who is tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. If you've never had someone open this book and show you what it means to be saved, what it means to know that heaven is your home, what it means to know that Jesus Christ is, in fact, your Savior, what it means that God, in fact, can be and desires to be your Father. If you don't have that, let someone tonight after church open up this book and, and maybe it take 10 minutes that could just change your eternity. Say, does that book have that kind of power? Do these words have that power? Yeah, they do. They do. And there's all kinds of people in this room that can testify and tell you, yep, the words of that book changed not just my life, they changed my eternal destiny. I'm going to have a long invitation. 
But as he plays that last verse, Christian, do some inventory. And if you're here and you're not sure that you are a born-again child of God, ask someone here, hey, what is that guy talking about? That whole saved thing? What is that all about? I want to know about that. (laughs) I want to be saved. You know what Jesus said as we close out? He said, the word that I speak, those words, that, that's what's going to judge you someday. The word of God is what's going to judge you, not a Christian, not a pastor. Better to line yourself up with what God said than with what people think. Thank you, God. Thank you guys for, I know it was a long service tonight. Um, some of you are like, yeah, it's always a long service. Um, I, 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 uh, I hope you got something. I hope something that was said stuck with you. And that you can walk away with maybe a, a, a deeper appreciation for the Bible. Um, thank God for his words. Amen. Let's all stand. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer.